Well, good morning and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Anita J and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Tuesday, October 23rd, 2018, and this is the 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time meeting. Today we'll be reading from the big book and we are in chapter 10, Two Employers. We are starting at the bottom of page 144, the fourth paragraph on your employee's return. And we're gonna be reading through five paragraphs, taking us all the way to the top of 146, which ends needless provocation and unfair criticism. Comments will be taken on all. Today's readers are, <clears throat> for the 12 Steps, Karen K, the 12 Traditions, Dana M. And readers of the text this morning are Carmela G and Lisa H. And our backup is Nessa R. The share ID numbers for Monday, October 22nd, the 7 a.m. meeting is 12,080. 12080. And for the 10 a.m. meeting is 12,082. 12082. The newcomer greeter is Deborah E. And our 8 a.m. host is Rebecca F. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for uh, members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At A Vision for You Big Book Study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. And I will now ask Karen Kay to read OA's 12 steps for us. Karen, can you unmute? I'm so sorry. Here I am. Okay. Karen Kay from New York, Compulsive Eater. The 12 Steps of Overeaters Anonymous. Number one, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and a fearless moral inventory of ourselves. 
five admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive eaters and to practice these principles in all of our affairs. Thank you. I'll pass. Thank you, Karen Kay. And I will now ask Dana M. to read always 12 traditions. Hi, it's Dana M. Can I be heard? Yes, you can. Thank you, thank you, and thanks for allowing me to serve. The 12 Traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants, they do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thanks for allowing me to serve. Can't hear anybody. Anita, star one to unmute, please. Oh my goodness, and I'm sounding so well. <laughs> uh, thank you, Dana M. Okay, how our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. 
Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. And once you're done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. So today we resume our study of the big book and we are at the bottom of page 144 in chapter 10 to the employers. We're going to read through four paragraphs, which end at the top of 146 with the words, on your employee's return. Excuse me, it's five paragraphs and ending with um, on your and ending with needless provocation and unfair criticism. All right, five paragraphs. Comments will be taken on all. And to get us to off to a good start will be Carmela G. Thank you, Anita. This is Carmela G from New York. On your employee's return, talk with him. Ask him if he thinks he has the answer. If he feels free to discuss his problems with you, if he knows you understand and will not be upset by anything he wishes to say, he will probably be off to a fast start. In this connection, you can remain undisturbed if the man proceeds to tell you shocking things. He may, for example, reveal that he has padded his expense account or that he has planned to take your best customers away from you. In fact, he may say almost anything if he has accepted our solution, which, as you know, demands rigorous honesty. Can you charge this off as you would a bad account and start fresh with him? If he owes you money, you may wish to make terms. If he speaks of his home situation, you can undoubtedly make helpful suggestions. Can he talk frankly with you so long as he does not bear business tales or criticize his associates? With this kind of employee, such an attitude will command undying loyalty. The greatest enemies of us alcoholics are resentment, jealousy, envy, frustration, and fear. Wherever men are gathered together in business, there will be rivalries, and arising out of these, a certain amount of office politics. Sometimes we alcoholics have an idea that people are trying to pull us down. Often this is not so at all. But sometimes our drinking will be used politically. 
One instance comes to mind in which a malicious individual was always making friendly little jokes about an alcoholic's drinking exploits. In this way, he was slyly carrying tales. In another case, an alcoholic was sent to a hospital for treatment. Only a few knew of it at first, but within a short time, it was billboarded throughout the entire company. Naturally, this sort of thing decreased the man's chance of recovery. The employer can many times protect the victim from this kind of talk. The employer cannot play favorites, but he can always defend a man from needless provocation and unfair criticism. Okay. That brought so, so many thoughts to mind. One of which was when I was the employer. I was not in program, but I worked in a field where um, I understood that there were many people, just like all of society, who have issues and who have illnesses, spiritual as well as physical. And there were alcoholics and substance abusers working as my staff. Fortunately, we have human resource programs, and as a good employer, I would suggest to them that they would go to human resources and take advantage of the help that we offered and that they would go and get their illness under control. That did set up some chain reactions because some of their fellow workers became very angry and jealous. They even came to me and said, why do you baby him? But it was not their business to know what this person was suffering through. Once we have a trust built and the person knows that we are honest and willing to work with them, to help them through, to put that hand out and to get them on the right track, that trust is worth gold because those people who left and went into rehabs and then came back were one of my most loyal employees. And now in program, I realize the fellowship, how we all understand each other and know that we are not judged And when we take a fifth step of one of our sponsees, how they know that they can be honest and we will not judge them because we have walked in their shoes and we know we have lived in the disease and we understand and we show loving and kindness. And if we follow the main function of the program, 
to be of maximum service to God and our fellows, be it a sponsor or be it an employer, we will do the right thing for that person. And with that, I will pass. Thank you very much, Carmela. Who else would like to share on those five paragraphs? Kim G. Kim. Amanda. Lisa B. Lisa B. Larry K. Raquel. Raquel. See, I didn't come at the end of the hour. That's nice. Bravo, Raquel. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, sweetie. Thank you for your service. (laughs) All right, let's go with these five. Kim G, Amanda, I forget the initial, Lisa B, Larry K, Raquel, I forget your initial. But e. Lisa uh, B. E. Raquel right. E. Thank e. you. All right. Kim G, please get us going. Good morning. Good morning, Anita. Good morning, everyone. My name is Kim G. God, the, the line that just jumped out at me um, was, the greatest enemies of us alcoholics are resentment, jealousy, envy, frustration, and fear. You know, I look back at my 20-something years in Overeaters Anonymous, and I realized I was fighting the wrong enemy, you know, that I didn't even know my problem. You know, I thought my biggest enemy was the all-you-can-eat buffets. You know, I thought it was Halloween. I don't know about you guys, but I always bought candy six weeks out trying to be prepared, and then I'd have to replace it at five weeks, four weeks, three weeks, two weeks. And God forbid, you know, kids hardly had got any candy at all. You know, when I went into an OA meeting, it was very common to say, are there any other compulsive readers here besides myself? And I would raise my hand, but I realize now what I was raising my hand to is I'm fat and I don't want to be fat anymore, or I am no longer fat and I'm terrified of being fat again. I thought food and weight was my problem. And it wasn't until on page 25 when they talk about that intolerable situation and someone explained to me the intolerable situation is not being in the food. It's sobriety. My real problem is when I'm not eating, that I get restless, I get irritable, I get disconsent, discontent, I experience resentment, anger, fear, relationships. I can't get comfortable in my own skin. And the solution to that is I get ease and comfort, which comes at once by taking those first few bites. See, when I treat compulsive overeating as a food problem, you take away my solution because my real problem is exposed. The greatest enemies this book is talking about are exposed. You know, I think about, you know, uh, things I heard in the rooms, that nothing tastes as good as abstinence feels, that abstinence makes you feel better. If you're a real compulsive overeater, abstinence sucks. It absolutely sucks. You want me to be abstinent in the morning, in the afternoon, in the evening? That is painful. So a 12-step program doesn't treat the food. It treats sobriety. You know, I think of page 62 where it says we are driven, driven by 100 forms of fear. And after decades in a way, once I was educated by this big book about what my problem was, once I acted on the instructions, I recovered. And now I'm driven, driven to do the steps. So I just want to assure all those that are suffering right now of of something. I know to the core of my being that I am a compulsive overeater. And let me assure you that I do not suffer from compulsive overeating because I know what the enemy is and I use the treatment of the 12 steps and therefore I no longer suffer from compulsive overeating. 
And with that, I pass. Thanks so much, Kim G. Amanda, is it F? Is it, um, well, anyway, Amanda, you're up. Hi, this is Amanda B. from Toronto. B. Um, recovered compulsive reader. I like what uh, we read here. Ask him if he thinks he has the answer, if he knows he can talk to you, if you remain undisturbed. To me, this is talking about the real answer to my problems, acceptance, love, and compassion. When I think about myself as an employer, or when I think about what my real problem was, is that I could not find a God that was accepting, loving, and compassionate. You know, I think about, they're asking the employer here to act the way I see my higher power, accepting, loving, and compassionate. If you remain undisturbed, it reminds me of the promises that we react sanely and normally. And, um, you know, it said in the last bit, the greatest enemy, and they listed a whole bunch of stuff, fear, frustration, but basically fear and resentment. It's the same thing through the whole book. I need to deal with my fear. I need to deal with my resentment. And um, I also got a, a message that was earlier sp- spoken here um, that basically uh, abstinence stinks. Uh, people, uh, I once heard, what feels good? Why doesn't this feel good? And I, it was so helpful to me to hear. Um, you know, feeling good is eating a muffin. Abstinence feels terrible until I'm in the solution. And even when I'm in the solution, I still have problems, but I have a way out and a way of dealing with it. For 10 years, I read this book and I thought it was just all about staying sober. And I was miserable for a whole decade. And I followed a food plan. Um, Basically, I followed a diet with group support through the whole book, even though it says it on almost every page, I missed the higher power. I missed, you know, I worked the steps to the best of my ability, but I did not come for a spiritual experience. So it says, ask him if he thinks he has the answer. And I just thought that was interesting because for the whole time I thought I had the answer, but I was miserable. So um, I did not have the answer. I did not have the answer. And when I found, I went back to step two and found a God that's accepting, loving, and compassionate as God as my employer. I stopped trying to pull satisfaction out of the world by trying to arrange it the way that I want. And it was only through the steps that I was able to do that. I didn't have to do into feeling or into thinking. I had to go into action. And I had to just bear the pain of being abstinent, of being sober, um, of not compulsively getting that first hit. And it sucked. But, uh, you know, the pain is a great changer for me. When getting abstinent and sober sucks more, sucks less than being in the food, that's when I started to change. I wasn't one of these people that just came and said, this is great. I had to be in enough pain that I said, this is less painful to recover. So I had to pick the the worst of the two evils at that time, and it turned out to be the best thing in my life. So with that, I pass. Thanks, everyone. Thanks so much, Amanda B. Lisa B., followed by Larry K. Good morning. Thank you for your service. My name is Lisa B. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Greenville, South Carolina, and I also love the lines. The greatest enemies of us alcoholics are resentment, jealousy, envy, frustration, and fear. And then it goes on to say, sometimes we alcoholics have an idea that people are trying to pull us down. And that word frustration, it means feeling of being upset or annoyed, especially because of an inability to change or achieve something. And the opposites of frustration would be happiness, satisfaction, and pleasure. 
um, there's so much here. Frustration is something I have always felt. I have always felt that if you were different, I could be happy. And it always takes me back to that third step in how it works, the chapter how it works. I'm a victim of the delusion that I can rest happiness and satisfaction if I only manage better. And that's what I've always thought. And I had no clue how to feel happiness, satisfaction, and pleasure. It's too calm. It's too... It's too serene. And then I equate that with being boring. Like, that's too boring. And then the idea that other people are against me. I've always thought if I didn't have to interact with people, I'd be fine, you know. I'm better with animals um, or I'm better on my own. And as a compulsive overeater, I love to isolate. Um, But anyways, the thing that I wanted to share on is uh, I'm still... I'm still growing and changing, even though I'm recovered, you know, I'm in another new phase. I'm deepening, deepening everything. It's always the same issue. It's always the same issue, just at a deeper, deeper level. And that the only place I can really go is starting with entire abstinence, diving into these steps, enlarging my spiritual life. And how do I do that? Through working with others. It's not through isolating and going on a mountaintop. It's through working with others. And often that is challenging and that's hard because it brings up those broken pieces inside of me that sometimes I don't want to look at, you know. And when I'm disturbed with others, it's because they're holding a mirror up and I don't want to see something in me and I'm more comfortable in blaming them or the situation. And it's all about powerlessness, but there is a power greater than me. And I dive into that power and guess what? It's inside of me. It's not in you and it's not in the meeting and it's not even in this big book. I can read this big book a gazillion times and not experience it. I have to take the action steps to uncover and unearth that place that's inside of me that has all the answers and all the serenity. And I just want to share that with entire abstinence, there was silence inside of my head. When I, had entire, when I experienced entire abstinence for the very first time as a result of coming to this meeting and following precisely the way this big book describes, there was silence inside my head for the first time. And that silence is still there. I just have to try not to get into my own way. And only my higher power can help me with that. Thank you. I pass. Thank you so much, Lisa B. Larry K. Followed by Raquel E. Hey, Anita. Good morning. Good morning. Um, Let me hit my timer. Okay. The um, yeah, there are my experiences. There are no schemes. There's no techniques to now. We can diet. Um, but there's no techniques and schemes out of the misery of being sober. But having had a spiritual awakening as the result of the steps, we can be sober happily. I don't know how that happens, but it did happen for me. I'm not fighting it anymore. You didn't teach me techniques and schemes. And when it talks about the, you know, the greatest enemies, we talk about resentment, you know, speak to resentment, you know, um, any resentment I hold on to is, uh, is a wall in front of my heart, I've heard it said. And there's not a technique or a scheme other than acceptance and, and perhaps forgiveness that can remove it. And here's the catch. No one but you can do it. No one but you can, can, uh, can have that acceptance and perhaps forgiveness. And that comes by being realigned brought into alignment with the higher power. That's my experience. No techniques or schemes, no books that will teach you a way to do that. You can try to do that, but to do so happily. 
That's been my experience. It's quite a conundrum. And with regard to fear, I've heard it said that my deepest fear is not that I'm inadequate. No, rather my deepest fear is that with the help of my higher power, I might just be adequate. I might just be capable of miraculous things, big things, all in service to my creator, right? And I can't bear the thought that maybe, just maybe, I'm a child of a living creator that's going to use me to accomplish tremendous things in service of others. That's pressure, and I can't think about it because I think I've got to pull that one off myself. I've got to pull a rabbit out of my hat here, out of the hat. And so I often play it small, and I shrink from the gifts that my higher powers bestowed on me, and I shrink from letting God's light shine through me out of fear. It's not out of inadequacy. What if through this practical program of action I'm brought into alignment with God? What if, you know, I choose to allow God's light to shine through me and, and I unconsciously give others permission to do the same because we demonstrate. You can bear witness. You can see in another person. You could hear it in their voice, can't you? You know their life's not perfect, but you can see it. And I wonder if we become liberated from our fears, our jealousies, our daily frustrations. I have a sneaking suspicion that's what this whole deal is about. That's what's happened to me. It's not perfect. The freedom to be what God intended for us to be, to be all along. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thanks so much, Larry. All right, Raquel E., good morning to you. Raquel, we, you are up. Hey, good morning. Hi, Anita. Hello to everybody. Can you hear me now? Yes, thank you. Yeah, yeah. thank you for letting me share. It's, it's just so incredible. And the guy who spoke before me, can you sing that song again? So I, can, I can't write that fast in Hebrew or in English. But it, this, this is it. I, I really identify so much and so many other good things are said. This chapter about the employer... Um, brings up very difficult memories for me. Um, I had, after so many years uh, um, outside of Israel, worked in so many places, almost every three years of the 26 years we were in another place. I don't even know how I survived it, uh, you know, to adjust, to see what I can do there with the schools that were with extinguished principals and frustrated parents and kids who wanted to play baseball outside. I, I told them that if, 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 if they wanted to be in the room instead of being outside, I'd take them to the shrink and I'd pay for it myself. But we have to do this. To I'll try to make it as painless as possible to learn about what it's like, what your heritage is like. And, and thank goodness I have students calling me from 26 years ago and 53 years ago. It's incredible. But it was hard. When I finally came to a school where I thought this really is it, I was called after three months into the principal office and told that he sees that I am a person with a sense of mission. We don't need it here. These kids are captive audience. There's no other school. Don't work so hard. We don't want plays. We just want them to read the text. And it was very hard for me to not relate to children. And this principal was a good man. He just did not know nothing about education. And at one time, he looked at me, he saw I was suffering, and he said, he said to me, it's only a job, you know. At the end of that 
third year there, I went to a treatment center and I was helped there tremendously and I was able to leave that place even though I didn't know where I was going. Well, I didn't set my timer, so please, Anita. But to think One about... minute. Yeah, but to think about this, that um, we are in situations, you know, that people around us, and it had so little to do with me what was happening there, that, that I brought my talents there, and they didn't need them, and I should have picked up, but my son was studying there free. I didn't have $5,000 to give. Now it's 28 to give for a year. And I needed to stay there. And I got out of there and I had a wonderful other year in another school that was good and, and was good for me and good for everybody. But uh, the employer, the employer and the employee meeting the way that this book describes they ought to meet it's just so incredible. It's so beautiful. And I I really have a prayer in my heart that everybody, who, and most of us are, I, I'm in pension now, but employers and employees, just see each other as people, please. And I thank you so much for letting me share. Thank you. Thanks I so pray. much, Raquel E. All right. Opening up again. Katie G. from Boston. Alia A from Toronto. Tanya H. Alia. Talia. H. Who else? We. A M. Okay. Katie G and Talia H and Leah M. But was there an? Was there someone? Penny C. Penny C. Okay, I'm not sure there was somebody missing name in there. Magdalena W. Magdalena W. All right, let us go with Katie, Talia H, Leah M, Penny C, and Magdalena W. And if there was another voice, you can let me know. All right, good morning, Katie. Hello, Miss Anita. Good morning, my fellows. This is Katie G, Recovered Compulsive Overeater, Anorexic, and Bulimic in Boston. I lost you now. We got your greeting, Katie, and then... I'm sorry, Anita. Can you hear me now? Yes, yes. Okay, sorry. All right, let me try again. The line that struck me the most is, um, can I remain undisturbed? And I know that this is to the employers, but I'm trying to apply it to myself. And when I was abstinent only, I remember saying to somebody in program, like, if, if anybody, because I was looking for a man, if anybody knew the things that I'd done, they could never love me. And that was coming from my spiritual malady, right? That was coming from the, the voice inside of me that said, no one will ever love you. You are empty. You are not enough. And you will never be enough. And through the process of uncovering, discovering, and discarding all of the shame, not just of my eating, like not just that, but like the people that I damaged, the um, the affairs that I had, the the money that I spent, the the violating ways that I I violated my parents and and dishonored you know jobs and and not just in the food. I'm talking about in abstinence and in a in a state of abstinence, you know, lying to my employer and spending money that wasn't mine to spend. 
right? And, um, and being able to share this with a woman in whom the problem has been solved, who honors the traditions where politics and sexual identity and all of the mishigash, they're outside issues. And we have this beautiful book that brings me to the core of what the problem is, me, my way of thinking, my selfishness, my self-centeredness, my dishonesty and fear. And let me tell you, I do not suffer from shame. I do not suffer from shame and humiliation because of all the things I did in a state of not eating. And there is such freedom. And then, you know, can I not talk about it with other people? Right? Can I, can I practice anonymity? My story is my story to share. Your story is your story to share. Am I going around putting people on pedestals and, and talking about them, right, and telling their stories? I don't get to do that anymore. And then can I take these principles of remaining undisturbed about my life, about your life, of, of anonymity, of honoring people and not gossiping and slandering into the rest of my life? Who would I be in dialogue with other people if I wasn't slandering? How can I carry this message with people who, in my humble opinion, you know, like I used to, they thrive off of gossip. How can I, how can I change the subject? How can I meet them where they are? I mean, these are principles that are very challenging, but thank you, God, because of this program, I can know that I need to remain undisturbed, and I can strive for that each and every day, and I can continue to ask God to help me to be neutral and to remain undisturbed so that, you know, I too can help another fellow get free, get free, not just from the pain of eating and binging and purging, but from the pain and misery that it is to be suffering in abstinence without God. And with that, I do pass. Thanks so much, Katie G. Talia H, and then it'll be Leah M. Hi, this is Alia. Um, I, I first wanted to say thank you to each and every one of you that I just shared because it kind of felt like you were speaking to me personally, and, and I think that gave me the strength to be able to share myself. I am very new to the program. I'm currently working on step four, and that line, the greatest elements of us alcoholics are resentment, jealousy, envy, frustration, and fear. It, got, it just hit me. I've, I've spent many years in different therapies and different programs trying to address these issues, but I just realized listening to you guys that the only thing I haven't tried is a higher power. And, and, and I'm not sure what about this last half an hour, hour has made me realize it, but I feel like, like that could work. I don't think I've, I think I've, I thought I, like I, I said I'd try this program, but the idea that a God that I can't see and feel and touch would be able to help me has, has been an issue for me. I think I just realized that that is possible. Um, you know, talking about the shame and the resentment that I'm carrying with me and that I know is not helping me. But it's not about it's not about the actual food. It's about it's it's about what's beneath that. The reason that I that I compulsively eat. The reason that I emotionally eat. And if I don't let go of that, the rest will will never change. Um, and I need to stick with this and give it a fair shot. Um, 
and hopefully reach a sense of recovery. Um, thank you, and with that, I'll pause. Thank you so much for your share. Uh, Leah M, followed by Penny C. Good morning, Anita, thanks for your service. Sometimes we alcoholics have an idea that people are trying to pull us down. Often this is not so at all. <laughs> um, you know, my big book teaches me that I'm the architect of my own misery. That became very clear, you know, when the food was down. Um, my life continued to deteriorate faster than I could lower my standards. Um, something wasn't working for me. <laughs> it was 1986 when I was 23 years of age that I marched myself into my employer's office and said, I'm cornered. <laughs> my disease has beat me to a bloody pulp. Even after all the suffering, all the medical consequences of my illness, all the hospitalizations that I endured, the mental torture, the emotional turmoil, the isolation, deep depression, suicidal thinking, I still have a mind that takes me back to that which is killing me. And I need to take a leave of absence. Against all odds, I was supposed to self-destruct because that's the direction this disease was taking me. Worst of all, I had no hope. I had no hope that anything would ever be different. And I checked myself in to a unit that uh, was for actually for alcoholics and chemical dependency, uh, and the recovery was based on the 12 steps. And I sat across from someone, an ex-Marine alcoholic, recovered, and he cracked open this very text that we study every day, and I got an education about the exact nature of my condition. I knew I had a problem with food, and I knew I had a problem with compulsive overeating. That had been very clear to me. But I didn't know how my disease functioned. And even though this book was talking about alcoholism and alcohol, and I was a compulsive overeater, anorexic, and bulimic, when you use the words compulsive overeating and food instead of alcohol and alcoholism, the big book was talking about me. And I left that conversation with something that I came in without, and that was hope. That as a result of these steps, that the process and the God of my understanding was going to restore me to sanity, bring me back to soundness of mind, relieve me of this obsession, and that I was going to be allowed to walk this earth as a free person. And that's exactly what occurred, and that's what still happens around the globe, evidence on this line many times a day. Uh, this book is designed to bring about an experience. Can I have an experience that moves me from one page to the next? and restores me to sanity. And that's exactly what happened. What was my problem? Lack of power. That was my dilemma. The program of recovery and those in whom the problem had been solved introduced me to a relationship with power. And as a result of that, um, I've walked a path I never walked before and experiencing a God I had never experienced before. And with that, I pass. Thanks so much. Thanks so much, Leah M. Penny C., followed by Magdalena W. Morning, Penny. Good morning. Thank you, Anita. This is Penny C. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from the Boston area. And um, there's one paragraph in particular here that just really jumped out at me this morning, and that's where it says, 
If he speaks of his home situation, you can undoubtedly make helpful suggestions. And this sentence, can he talk frankly with you so long as he does not bear business tales or criticize his associates? This is, and, and then it talks about can there, can there be undying loyalty? This reminds me of my relationship with sponsors and sponsees, especially the people that I take through the big book and the steps and listen to some of their deepest, darkest secrets, their shortcomings, the, the, the um, character defects that they probably never, never told another human being. And, and I can be today, I can assure these people, because I took the steps and because I have a higher power that guides my actions, that whatever they say to me is safe with me. And I can say that with, with complete certainty. That's, that's, that's part of the miracle of the program, because I come from a place where um, before a program that a little bit of juicy gossip was just just what I needed to get people to get people's attention to be feel one like I was one of the crowd. And today, I I I know that I am perfectly able to hold in my heart. And sometimes I ask God, help me to forget what that person just told me. I don't need I don't need to remember that. And the other part is. When when I do talk with the sponsee, or um, I'm I'm learning, I'm still learning that for myself, when I'm at a meeting, uh, especially you know at a meeting of OA or my other twelve step program, that it's my role not to criticize, not to be there to judge or criticize. In fact, judgment, being judgmental is such a part of my my character list of character defects that when I do the 11-step review at night, I add a question. Was I judgmental today? And so I just want to end with this. There was a time when I left my home face-to-face meeting because those people weren't talking about the things that I thought they should be talking about. For instance, the steps, the big book, um, the higher power. And so uh, I was challenged to go back there and share my recovery. And so I went with this. This is what I say. I, I think about it when I call into the meeting. I think about it when I walk into the rooms. God, help me remember that I'm not at this meeting to criticize or judge, but to share my recovery. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you very much, Penny C. Magdalena W., you are up. Oh, hello. Thank you. Magdalena W. Um, from the UK, recovered compulsive overeater and restrictor. Uh, may I ask a question, please? Uh, this isn't the time for questions, Magdalena. Can you form it into a kind of a comment? It's, so you're not having questions now? That's in the second hour. Oh, okay. Can you form, Sorry. Can um, you form an issue? Yes, well, I can. I w- the line that struck me, which somebody else has already shared on, was the greatest enemies of us alcoholics are resentment, jealousy, envy, frustration, and fear. Um, yeah, still getting all of those. Hopefully I'm more awake, aware, and alert to them. 
Also, someone shared that once they had entire abstinence, their mind quietened down and stayed so. And I was, my ears pricked up at that. Um, I don't think my mind's quiet at the moment. Uh, These situations, as as employer and employee, really always challenge me. Um, And currently I work with a group of other people on a kind of, yes, on a peer basis, but there still is management and I still have to really watch my behaviour, my attitudes, my fear of authority, my resentment of authority, my jealousy of authority, envy, and my frustration at the way things are. Because how I was before is still how I am now, except that I have these tools of recovery to work with. So, um, yeah, I need to use my program at work or when I'm sponsoring or being sponsored. And I'll leave it there. Thank you. Thanks so much, Magdalena W. And you can always, in the next hour, bring up your question. I think we have time for two more who would like to share. Anita B. Anita B. Leia D. And Leia D. All right. Very good. All right, Anita B. Good morning. Anita? Oh, Anita B. from New Jersey. Uh, I think the part that I couldn't forget about when they started to read was, in fact, he may say almost anything if he has accepted our solution, which, as you know, demands rigorous honesty. Um, And that is, I was just so happy to hear that and be reminded because I can so easily think that I'm being honest, but when I rigorously think of it, more is revealed to me. And uh, that is, something that helps me recover is to know that I need to be honest. And the other thing was I was so happy, a couple of things that were shared that gave me the hope that I am enough. You know, I am enough and that um, there is something else I can do besides gossip, especially in the workplace, which, you know, I'm human and uh, sometimes I'm passionate about something enough that I think it's okay to do those things and then I feel like crap afterwards so um, I don't want to feel like crap anymore so um, I just want to be rigorously honest today so thanks for letting me share well thank you very much Anita B Leah D you are up good morning my name is Leah D recovered in Brooklyn thank you all so much for the meeting it really helped with a lot of the thoughts um, I've been 44 years, and I've been my own boss for 40 years. I've been a thin boss. I've been a fat boss. And mostly I haven't been a recovered boss. And um, I'm listening to all this and realizing how judgmental I have been and was about others that came in with this disease. I didn't like to hire people who were fat. I judged them because I knew they had my disease. I also wasn't always in touch with what was going on. And my highs and lows, 
And I can remember as an employee, or even as a boss, how much time I spent eating and being not in the moment and being unrecovered. And the truth is that when the food is down, the feelings come. And today I don't know who I am. I woke up this morning feeling off. But off doesn't mean eat. Off just means off and turn to God. So I need to be a worker today and to be a boss of my own world today to create a business that I can't let go of for today and to have faith and trust in my higher power and to stay in the moment and work these steps and not not wallow in pity or self-pity. I'd like to be a good person today, not a boss and not a bossy, and just live with God today in my life and to wherever feeling comes up if it's if it's sad and painful and lonely because that's what I've got today sad, painful, lonely and fearful know that I can give it to God and still carry on and not have to jump into a bed or a box and uh, it's great that we're here every morning you know and that I can be a part of this great miracle that's happening one moment at a time and with that I'll pass <laughs> Anita, you're breaking up a little bit. We can't quite hear you. Hey, for for one, one, one more for two, two minutes. Deborah M. Yes, thank you, Deborah M. Go ahead. Hi, I'm Deborah M. from Western New York, and I am um, a manager of a boss, president of an organization, and I have a lot of people in the organization I know who have the disease. And for a good part of the time, I was not recovered. I love in the big book where it talks about sometimes there's a lot of competition and you feel that people are against you. And I think that is so critical to understand, even though I'm recovered, there are times where I cannot tell the difference between the false and the truth of how people relate to me. I desperately need that program. Of, of working out what's truth and what's the not truth because I can get very easily, oh, my goodness, this person doesn't understand me. I've overstepped my bounds. Always self-evaluating myself much, much better, thank you to the program, understanding right away that I probably don't see the truth of everything that's happening around me right now. And I believe that attraction is the way. So even though my weight is down and even though I'm doing the program it's going to be my relationship with my staff that I pray will be that attraction for them to ask me when the next time I pick up that scale how do you do it because I can look at some of them and know they're going to they're not going to make it they're not going to make it with the weight that they're putting on so it's me working my steps and it's in the working of the steps in front of the employees, my friends, that I pray God will touch them. So thank you. That's it. Have a great thank day. Thank you. Thanks so much, Deborah M. All right. I want to thank everyone who shared. And please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. The share ID for the meeting you have just been part of uh, is 12085. One two zero eight five.
And we will now close with a reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the Serenity Prayer. And Lisa H., would you please read this for us? Thank you, Anita. Good morning, Lisa H., recovered in Tennessee. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.